Christ is risen. Oh, come on. There's a standard response. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And when I was a missionary in Russia, they always did it three times. So here we go. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Easter is all about rejoicing in the historical fact that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago rose from the dead. And then proclaiming to ourselves and everyone who will listen that we too can someday rise from the dead if we believe in Him. The Bible says that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. There is a future greater harvest when His followers will themselves rise from the dead. So you're at church. Are you going to enter into the Easter hope and let it animate your life? Or are you going to maintain a distant, skeptical, albeit reverent, uh, distance from this glorious truth? You know, God has gone to great lengths that we might live with Him forever. He sent His one and only Son, the only begotten, the Son of God, Jesus, to earth to hang on the cross, to die a terrible death, to pay the penalty for our sin, so that our sins could be atoned for, we could find forgiveness... And then he bursts forth from the grave. God brought his son back to life, conquering the power of sin and death. And he gifts that to us if we trust in him. The only thing that can keep us from resurrection is unbelief. So let's put our unbelief to death today. Jesus once said to Mary, Martha, actually, he said, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. He's saying, Martha, I can conquer death in your life. And then he went on to ask Martha this question, do you believe this? And Jesus asks every one of us, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. I can conquer death in your life. But you must believe. Jesus wanted Martha to live all of her life, every day of her life, animated with resurrection hope. But in order to have that hope, she had to believe in Jesus. Would it make a difference in your life if you truly believed in the resurrection of the dead? If you truly believe that when this body that you're in now dies and is buried, at a future date, God will raise it, transform it, and you will inhabit a new transformed resurrected body for all eternity with God and His saints It's a body that won't get sick or tired or break down or sin. If you really believe that that was your future, what change would that make in your life? Would you stress about the same things that you do? Would you have the same priorities? Would you feel the same way about people disappointing you and hurting you? What about your own failures? No, I think that that a... A belief in the resurrection of the dead makes a dramatic difference in our life. I think it is the game changer. And it certainly was for the early followers of Christ. The Bible records a massive change in in the behavior of the disciples before they met the risen Christ and after they met the risen Christ. And that's uh, what we're going to be looking at in the Bible today. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his apostles. Bible records eight of them. 
The apostle Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people after rising from the dead. Uh, First, he appeared to three women, but the boys in the group didn't believe them. Then he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then he appeared to uh, all of the apostles minus Thomas. And then Thomas said, "Unless unless I see with my own eyes and touch with my own hands his nail-pierced hands, I would never believe. He appears to all the apostles, gives Thomas that evidence that he demands. Then he appears uh, probably to hundreds of his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Then later by the Sea of Galilee to five of the apostles. He appears at some time to his, his unbelieving brother James, who went from being a skeptic of his brother Jesus to becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And then, and then, it's, and then he, when he ascended into heaven, a whole bunch of people saw him do that. And then a couple years later, he, he appeared to Saul, persecutor of the church, who became Apostle Paul. Uh, Jesus went, <laughs> Jesus went uh, above and beyond to demonstrate to his disciples, I'm alive, right? I'm alive. Uh, prior to cell phones, prior to photos and videos, what was the the best possible testimony that something happened. Eyewitness testimony. I saw it. And how about hundreds of people going around saying, I saw Jesus alive from the dead. On different occasions in different places, people who said, I saw him eat. He talked with me. I touched him. I mean, this is, this is I have to think this is the, uh, apart from the fact that God was working in, in and through the preaching of the church. I have to assume this is why the, the early church grew so rapidly. I mean, people going around saying, I personally talked to the risen Lord Jesus. I touched him. I saw him eat with me. And, and, and then they were unwilling to recant that testimony even when they were imprisoned and beaten and, and in many t- cases killed for it. Well, today we're going to be looking at the uh, uh, Jesus appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, so on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, two of them, two of his disciples, by the way, two of the guys who had not believed uh, the three women, uh, because just a couple verses earlier we read in verse 11, but these words seemed to them the men, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Uh, so these two of these guys are going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What they're doing physically reflects what's happening inside, their emotional state, their spiritual state. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're presumably on their way home. So why? That's because the Jesus story has come to an end. Jesus died. Our time with Jesus is over. Our hopes and dreams about Jesus have been killed. (laughs) And so it's time for us to go home. It's time for us to move on. But something changes. And, And actually, they end the story turning around and going back to Jerusalem because they realize the Jesus story is not over. And that something is that they meet the risen Lord. Verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew nearer and went with them. 
But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's interesting. So God kind of clouds their sight so that they don't recognize Jesus as Jesus. And I've often wondered, why is that? And the Bible doesn't tell us. I have a theory. My theory is Jesus had some things he wanted to teach them. And if they saw Jesus alive from the dead, they would have been so amazed, they would not have listened to anything. <laughs> they would just be like, Jesus! Ah! But he wanted to teach them some stuff. That's my theory. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I mean, that question, they just stop as they enter into the tragedy of what has happened to Jesus and their hopes. They're looking sad because they're sad. They're sad. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but he has been killed, and with his death died their dreams. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. It's interesting that only one of the disciples is named. Why is that? The other guy is unnamed. Well, probably it's because when Luke penned this gospel, Cleopas was still alive, and so you could go talk to Cleopas. He was the eyewitness uh, to this event. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, he's pretty incredulous. How in the world could you be in Jerusalem and not know about the death of Jesus? It was the big news, right? Uh, the people had uh, Hosanna on Palm Sunday. They were so excited. And then the religious leaders grab him and kill him. A great tragedy. And he said to them, what things? And Jesus knew. He just wanted to hear from them. What's your interpretation of what's happened? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Oh, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body... They came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So I want you to hear the story that these disciples are telling themselves because this is the story the followers of Jesus would have told themselves or something very similar to it if they hadn't seen Jesus alive from the dead. Right? And so what's the story? The story is, hey, Jesus of Nazareth was a mighty prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and the people. He was a prophet sent by God to us, his people. But the chief priests and the rulers of Israel killed him, as they've done with so many of the other prophets, right? They have a, we have a history of killing God's messengers, we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. Oh, the entire time that we walked with him, we hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We really hoped that he was the one that God had promised through the prophets hundreds of years earlier that we've all been waiting for. But he obviously isn't because they killed him. He's dead, and we know that the, the Messiah is not going to die. The Messiah is going to conquer, be victorious. And it's three days. It's been three days since they killed him. And we know what that means. We, we, we know that that means the story's over. It, this is irreversible. He's dead. It's over. 
Now, now some women went to the empty tomb, went to the tomb, and they found it empty, and, and they claim an angel said to them, Jesus is alive, and, and actually some of the guys went, and they also found the tomb empty, like the women said, but, but Jesus, nobody's seen Jesus for three days, so our conclusion, he's dead. He's dead, and we're, we're headed home. We're headed home to get back on with life. Now, we still believe in God, and we're still waiting for the Messiah. We haven't lost our faith in God's promises, but Jesus isn't the Messiah we hoped he would be. That is the story Christians would have told if they hadn't seen Jesus alive from the dead. Verse 25, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Well, the, the disciples didn't know that because they hadn't seen that in the scriptures. And so verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he walked through the Old Testament and he said, Let me show you. How what happened to me is what was supposed, to, what had to happen. Of course, they haven't, they don't know it's Jesus yet. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. They wanted to keep talking. They liked this guy. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, very reminiscent of the Lord's Supper. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. So all of a sudden, God allows them to see Jesus for who he really is. And he then vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They've already hiked seven miles. It's nighttime. They just ate, so they're probably sleepy. And they, but they're not going to wait. They don't say, oh, this is, this is pretty impressive. Let's uh, snooze on it and we'll get back to, you know, to this in the morning. No way. They can't sleep. This is a total game changer. And so they get up at once, turn around, and in the, in the nighttime, they head back to Jerusalem. Another, another seven miles. Why? Because the story's not over, right? They start, they start, the, the, start off walking away from Jerusalem. Jesus' story is concluded. And they turn around and they head right back to Jerusalem because they realize the Jesus story is not over. It's just beginning. And guess what? What happens when they get there? And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So in the intervening time, Jesus had appeared to Simon Peter and Simon comes back and, and, and now adds his testimony to the testimony of the three women and says, Jesus appeared to me. And then you get these two, these two uh, disciples from, uh, come back from Emmaus saying, He appeared to us too. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And now all of a sudden Jesus appears to the eleven and all those who were with him. And begins to talk to them. So, so the, the evidence is beginning to mount that Jesus is alive because he's beginning to show up <laughs> alive from the dead to his disciples, giving them evidence. Now, 
One of the, one of the apostles, Thomas, uh, was skeptical. In fact, overly skeptical. Jesus chastised Thomas. Because Thomas, in the face of the women's testimony, Peter's testimony, the disciples from Emmaus, and, and all of, of his fellow apostles saying, we have seen Jesus, not just once, multiple times he's appeared to us. Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints on his hands, unless I touch it, unless I touch his side where the Roman soldier pierced him with a spear, I will never believe. This is from an apostle. Somebody who walked with Jesus for three years. He was a hard-headed skeptic who, who probably thought to himself, I know I want to believe Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm going to be extra careful not to be taken in. I'm going to be hard-headed. No, not unless the proof is insurmountable, I will not believe. Now, Jesus graciously gave Thomas the evidence he demanded. Jesus appeared again to the apostles, and this time Thomas is with them, and he says, Thomas, touch. Come here. Touch my side. And Thomas falls uh, before Jesus and worships him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus chastises Thomas and says, you believe, Thomas, because you see. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And he's thinking about you and me because, you see, the evidence that Jesus gives us is the eyewitness testimony of the early disciples that has been recorded us for us in the Scriptures. God believes that that is sufficient evidence for us to have faith in His Son and in order to be saved. I once lost $5,000 in a Ponzi scheme... My wife lost it as well. So we were seminary students. There's this guy on our campus going around guaranteeing 20% return on investment. Now, I was a little skeptical. I'm like, 20% return? He's like, yeah, here's why. The people in our company, uh, uh, they want to bless you future pastors and help you get started on your road to retirement. And if we, make, if we take a loss, so be it. Well, I wanted it to be true, and so uh, some of my friends invested everything. Sabrina and I put in 25000 which was huge at the time for us. We happened to be living with an older couple at the time, and, and the guy was a retired economics professor from one of the colleges in Chicago, and he said, Mike, I, I must warn you, nobody guarantees 20% return on investment. Nobody. And remember the adage, Mike, if it sounds too good to be true, shout it out. Probably too good to be true. Well, I, I partly listened to him. I took 20 of the 25 out, but I left five in because I wanted it to be true. Within months, the feds are involved. It all blows up. People go to jail. We lose it all. Now, some people take that adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it's, it's not true. And they apply it to the resurrection. And they say, of course you want to believe in the resurrection of the dead. That would satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. The idea that you don't, it, this is not the only life you get. You get another life, uh, a resurrected body that doesn't get sick or tired or die. And, and you get to be with a loving God and, and other great people. And of course you want to believe. 
So be careful because you're liable to be taken in by that super good news. Now, skepticism is appropriate. Skepticism has its place. Skepticism can protect us from being taken in by lies. But too much skepticism can cause you to miss out. And that's what Jesus is chastising Thomas for. You see, just because the gospel is the goodest news there is, doesn't mean it's a lie. It just means it's awesome. It's awesome and you don't want to miss out on it. Today I want to give one apologetic argument. By the way, there are lots of apologetic arguments you should expose yourselves to uh, for the resurrection, for the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the one apologetic is this. You have to explain the change in the apostles, in the disciples of Christ from before the, uh, the seeing Jesus and after seeing Jesus. Because after Jesus died, the, the disciples locked themselves in a room for fear of the Jews. They don't want to get caught up in the anti-Jesus roundups. And so they go into hiding. They're scared, right? They, all, they had all abandoned Jesus. A mere 50 days later, they're out in public accusing the Jewish leadership of killing the Son of God. And from that point on, they are bold as lions and they are willing to be imprisoned and they're willing to be beaten and they're even willing to be killed for that testimony. You have to explain the change. Now, you might say, I just don't believe the Bible. I don't believe the New Testament's record. Listen to this. Gary Habermas, who is the professor of philosophy and New Testament department at Liberty University, says that uh, that it is almost universally agreed to by historians, Christian, non-Christian, secular, atheistic, if you're a hardcore historian of the New Testament age, it is almost universally agreed that the disciples of Jesus, at a minimum, believed they had seen the risen Lord Jesus. So I'm going to just take a moment of your time and read from three uh, historians who are not Christians, who, who are testifying to this. So here's E.P. Sanders. He was huge back in uh, uh, the, the late nine, uh, in the 1990s. His book, The Historical Fig Figure of Jesus, he, he writes, that Jesus' followers, and later Paul, had resurrection experiences is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to the experiences, I don't know. Right? But they believed they, they, believe they had seen Jesus. Um, Peter Jennings was interviewing the historian Paula Fredrickson, not a Christian, uh, for the uh, documentary, The Search for Jesus. And here's what she said. She says, I know in their own terms what they saw, she's speaking of Jesus' disciples, was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. Now, I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know that as a historian, that they must have seen something. And then there's Bart Ehrman, 
Uh, this is Oxford University Press, a historical introduction to the early Christian writings. He's a, he's a tremendous skeptic of Christianity, but he's one of the top New Testament scholars in the world. And here's what he says. It is a historical fact that some of Jesus' followers came to believe that he had been raised from the dead soon after his execution. So, historians who know their stuff do not contest uh, that, the, that the early disciples of Jesus believed they saw the risen Lord Jesus. What they'll say is they must have had hallucinations, right? It, somehow it must be mass hallucinations uh, they, they thought they saw. But of course, we know people don't rise from the dead, so obviously they couldn't have seen Jesus alive from the dead. They just thought they did. But nobody, con- nobody who knows what their, their stuff contests that the early Christians believe they saw the risen Lord Jesus. Otherwise, how do you account for the change in their lives? I look at this and I say, unless your worldview says resurrection cannot happen, which really comes back to your view of God, because if there's a God who created the world, he can do whatever he wants to do. Miracles don't surprise me. It, frankly, the most logical explanation for this dramatic change in the, in the lives of the disciples is they did, in fact, see Jesus alive from the dead. It was fundamental to the preaching of the early church and is the most logical explanation for the change in their lives. So here's what, here's what Easter proclaims to you. You can rise from the dead. You can have your sins forgiven. Be reconciled to God. Live forever with God and the saints in a body that doesn't get sick and tired and sin. And the only thing that keeps you from this resurrection is unbelief in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God gives us, always gives us a choice But at the same time, he calls us, come, come. I want to be with you. That's why I went to the cross, so that you could be with me forever and ever. So are you going to receive or are you going to maintain your skepticism and die in your sins? That's the choice for today. Receiving Jesus Christ can be likened to saying, I do in marriage. You know, every relationship has a beginning, and your relationship with God will have a starting place. And it starts when you say, I do, to Jesus. You might think that that guy is just the perfect guy for you, and that your life would be so much better if you were married to him or, or a girl. But you're not married until you say, I do. And so you might be sitting here hearing this thinking, wow, that's good news. You know, I actually think I might believe that. But you're not a Christian. You're not saved from your sins until you make a personal choice, a personal commitment. Like we heard in these three baptisms. That's why the questions were asked. Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior now and forever? So will you do that? Um... There are no magical words. The Bible just simply says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. God knows your heart. And so you say whatever words you want to say, but if you say, 
I, God, I want to be saved by Jesus. I receive his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I make him Lord and my Savior. I'm in. I say I do to Jesus, however you want to put it. And you mean that the best you know how. God, God will honor that. You'll be saved. And guess what? Your resurrection, you will be raised from the dead someday. Amen. I'm going to just quiet us for a moment while I think the band comes back, and I'm going to give you a chance in the quietness of your heart to make that uh, prayer right now. So let's do that. Just put whatever words you want to it, but say, I do to Jesus right now. Amen. I have uh, two books. If you prayed that prayer and you became a Christian today, see me. I have a book called All That You Need to Know About Salvation. It talks about, you know, sort of spiritually what happened to you and how do you get on with the business of following Jesus. And then if you're still thinking about this, uh, I have a few more books left over called The Case for Easter, which deals with more of the, uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So please come see me at the end of the service.